0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Podcast. I'm Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. I'm John. I'm Steve. And you can bet your ass we're never going to give you up. Never going to
1: give you up. Never going to
0: let you down. Never going to run Oh, jeez. Oh
2: God, yeah. God. God. You're welcome. Clickbait. Uh, Clickbait. <laughs> eh, eh, anyway. They're already here. <laughs> yeah, they are already here. Okay. They already clicked. It's Beating a dead horse. Yeah. Um,
0: so, if you didn't tune in last week and you didn't bother to read the title on iTunes or on the website, we are doing my album pick this week, which I want to get right into because I have a lot to say about the artist. And it is, of course, the latest record from Rick Astley, and that album is called 50 because he happens to be 50. Mm. So clever titling there. Um, this is his first album in 15 years, which is a big deal, but a lot of artists who kind of disappear for 15 years, it's, they go on a hiatus, they broke up, they don't want to do music anymore. His was pretty simple. He took a break because he's. St- started a family he's married he has a young daughter i believe and uh he wanted to raise his kid and he had enough money from his previous success that he said hey i'm just not gonna work for 15 years or at least not work uh, on his own solo stuff. He's actually been playing drums in another band in Britain for a while, which I thought was pretty cool. Do you know the name of that other band? Not off uh, the top of my head, but they do no a lot research. of covers and stuff. Um, right. I got a lot of this information, actually. He recently did an interview with Chris Hardwick on the Nerdist podcast, and it's what inspired me to do his new record, because I've always been a fan of Rick, but I didn't... First of all, I didn't know he was putting out a new record until I listened on that podcast, but also... Just listening to him talk about his life and why he took a step back from music and what the industry was like and why he came back and what he's trying to accomplish. It just really interested me because I've always loved his work, but I've never really, you know, everyone knows the meme, you know, the Rick Roll. And while I've been a fan of his stuff,
2: I don't know that I really saw beyond the, the guy... You know, in the music. I didn't really know much about him. Yeah, I think uh, it probably is analogous to the same situation of how people say, oh, you only know the greatest hits. Well, in this case, it may not even just be the greatest hits. It may just be Never Gonna Give You Up. Yeah. A lot of people probably only know that. I, I confess I never looked into a Rick Astley album, but I love that hit. <laughs> sure. Well, and I mean,
0: but that could be said of a lot of 80s bands. I mean, uh, some of your favorite, like your one of your favorite albums of all time, Cargo, I yes. honestly didn't really listen to in its entirety until, until recent years. They were always kind of like a multiple hit band for me. You know, I knew the big singles, and that was it. Yeah, everyone always
2: knows Land Down Under, and that's not even from Cargo. That's from no. Business as Usual. Yeah, so. yeah. And you know, Overkill, of course, We're talking too. about Men at Work, of course. Men, men at Work, <laughs> yes. Um, but, but it's the same kind of thing where a lot of people
0: just know a lot of stuff from his first two albums and don't know much beyond that. And I'll be honest, I'm not super intimate with his discography, but I've always liked what I've heard. And, you know, I figured we've done a lot of pop on this show, but we haven't done a lot of veteran pop, really. I mean, like, if Michael Jackson were still around making records, we'd probably do one of his. But beyond that, and, like, I guess you could say one of the new veterans is Justin Timberlake, which we will do eventually. Though we
1: did do... Justin uh, Timberlake, a McCartney. veteran already?
0: Yeah, but I still consider Paul McCartney
2: rock and roll.
1: And Justin mm. Timberlake's been in the music business for about 20-ish years yeah, now? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, he's been around,
2: great. yeah, he's, he predates the millennial shift right there. I thought you didn't like dating yourself to call these oh. pe- these artists <laughs> veterans. Yeah, I mean, but, but that said, it, it's true though. We
0: haven't really done we've done some artists who've been around for a long time, but not necessarily in the pop sphere
2: especially as ingrained as Rick Astley is, who's known far and wide whether it's for one song or a bunch. Well, the other thing I'll say about him is also it, it's come down to the point where a lot of people use that song, never going to give you up, as uh, as the meme, as a joke, and I wonder whether they're really appreciating it. Like, when you're using it as a five-second sample, it's more for the joke than it is for the music. And there is that view of, you know, 80s pop as being quirky looking back mm-hmm. on it. I sometimes wonder whether the insinuation is that it's shallow, but I never saw that. In yeah. fact, I haven't seen pop quite as boisterous as Rick Astley's brand of pop, his 80s brand of it, in a long time. Well, if you if you talk about boisterous, that dance he was doing
1: was not... Was 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 just the was just the two step shuffle the entire time. I mean that's not boisterous. It's vocal boisterousness. There you go. Well, A little yeah. more refined, right? And there. also
0: it's yeah. just this idea of you know the way the kind of electric drum hits at the intro of Never Gonna Give You Up and then it goes right into the dancey beat and the song takes off and he starts singing like it just it, it plays really well and smooth and so I think that's part of the gag is like you're sending somebody this really important thing you know click here because this is really urgent and then they get that and I think yeah. it, it is part of the joke but I think the music helps the joke. And I mean, he's even talked about how it gave his career like a resurgence. Like, he, he never disappeared, but it introduced him to a new
2: generation or introduced a new generation to him that might have never heard of him. True, and I guess uh, that just goes back to the old, well, no visibility is bad visibility. Well, right. I mean, uh, all press is good press. Yeah, kind of a thing. there you go. That's what I was looking for. Right. <laughs> I'll say the correct term and that you were trying to Said a far less memorable version of it. Mean, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and so I think that What's interesting also is a lot of the bands that I brought on, because I've done it more often than... You two, I think, is safe to say. I don't know. It might have been been evening out in the last couple of years. But most of the time, I'm the one who frequently brings a band that he already knows. You guys often reach outside that. This I, year... I, I, choose, I choose dartboard. I just put yeah. names up I don't but, even recognize. But that said, I tried like, at the beginning, and then yeah. I got
2: disheartened. <laughs> right. Well,
0: but also, uh, in the last couple of years, we've kind of dived back into the bands that we've loved. Because they've come out with more stuff. It's been a long enough time. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it was interesting to dive into an artist that I really love. Because I do that I'm not super familiar on an album scale. Again, I know the hits and I know some of his albums, but I definitely haven't listened to a full album by him in a while until now. And so I thought that would be a really interesting
2: approach to this record, for me personally, anyway. Well, then let's get to know him at his half-sensory marker. <laughs> 50. When you say it, it always, that way, it always sounds so much older. I'll never forget when I, I was, well, I was barely young and I called my dad when he turned 50. I said, you're half a century. <laughs> and sure my mother would. was like, you probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> not that I don't think my dad cared or whatnot, but yeah. other fathers would have. Possibly, Certainly. especially since you're not their kid. That's true. That's <laughs> (laughs) Better
0: point. I thought so. All right, well, track one is called Keep Singing, and uh, it's a pretty rousing track to start the album, which I appreciate from a good pop record, kind of getting you going right away. That said, though, the actual initial intro is just pretty much piano and vocals to start. It almost sounds like it's going to go a cappella. At least, it's not alluding to getting
2: kind of faster or upbeat. There are piano chords, but who needs them, honestly? <laughs> because it's easy to forget, alright, after all these years, how unique Rick Astley's voice really is. Sure. Still at 50. Soulful doesn't quite do it justice, because of course it's smooth, but he tops out in these falsettos, and although his low range is still very impressive, I think it's, it's really his tenor. He's a tenor, and it's his mid-range that jumps out at you, this guttural, all-encompassing, earphone-consuming force, and he actually changes the timbre of certain notes mid-note, like the last line in the chorus. I love those kinds of details about his vocals.
1: Actually, it doesn't seem like his vocals are getting as deep as they used to be. It doesn't seem like he's hitting the same level, but you're right. It feels like he's gone more expansive in his range itself.
0: you got to think also um, when you're aging, and I think he still does go as deep as that, but I think he's delivering it in a different way. I mean, those 80s songs also were theatrical in kind of a different way than, at least at this point, this first song, keeps singing it. Yeah, um, Instrumentally, e- even though, you know, Steve did say, and he did say who needs him, remember, for the record, audience, <laughs> I tried to talk about instrumentation. Steve said, "But who needs it?" So I want that on the record. <laughs> that is an odd moment. Um, it's like now we, we all have that. We now all have that. We have, that have that moment to hold on I'm to. I'm putting
1: that in the pocket. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, but the the instrumentation matching his expansive vocals is very co- gospel feeling here. You know, it's, it's
1: especially <laughs> prevalent in the pre-chorus. Yes. When it, well, first you get a clap beat accompanying everything else, and that automatically starts putting in that sway kind of a feel, but the choir that's backing him up starts humming along with him and sort of playing off of his vocals or maybe vice versa. Maybe that's what's going on. It's hard to tell because he's still so standout-ish. But those background grumbles are really setting up a a gospel kind of a feel because when they go into the chorus, it is choir.
2: It is just straight-up harmonies working with him. (laughs) Keep singing, whoa, I keep singing. Praising to the heavens with my voice ringing. Keep singing, whoa, I keep singing. Clap to the beat till my hands are stinging. And I'd be saved some sunny day from throwing my life, throwing my life away. Now, this is what I alluded to earlier where he actually changes the timbre of the note, right? Life kind of closes inward. It goes from lie to E at the end of it. And I just really liked that touch. I I think when you're looking at a vocalist who... Is it safe to call him a crooner, first of all? Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, an 80s crooner, I mean, I, of a different era, but oh, sure. Right, but, but I mean, the vo- the vocal quality, I would say, yeah. is very reminiscent of a crooner, Well, sure. then, in those cases, it helps to be specific about the kinds of things that make them unique and stand out in crowd, because otherwise, this entire episode would be, he's got great vocals. Right, well, no, for sure. And I think that what he really showcases here on this first track of the album is
0: just kind of how passionate he is about music and especially his he knows his vocals as his prize winner his you know his um, I was going to make some kind of horse racing metaphor but I lost it my point is is that it, Secretariat is that what you're going maybe for? <laughs> I don't know I'm not sure people have been using with that it. for too but, long but I think that his lyrics have never been overly complicated but they've always been very sincere and I really like like you read the chorus, and of course it has less impact when you're reading his vocals. But the way he's delivering it and singing it, there's this kind of passion behind it that you can't kind of can't help but get swept up in it.
2: Yeah, and the message, you're right, it does seem to be an ode to music. I mean, yeah. earlier on in the verse, it was when I was a boy, I saw my daddy crying at the steering wheel, and oh, it made me feel so scared. So this is not shallow lyrics at all. And there was joy. I found my religion swimming in a choir of voices, and oh, I knew that I had been spared. So it's using religion as a metaphor, seeming to show his his interest in music his early his early connection to it and how that Became that thing in his life that, I guess, is what a religion is to a lot of other people. Well, right, and it's strength and faith, and he's comparing that faith, or at least saying he's getting that
0: faith from music, which I think is not an uncommon kind of feeling. I think, I think a I lot think, of people I, take
1: solace in music. I think it's basically what gospel is. Right. And he showcases this to its fullest extent in the bridge. There's a little bit of darkness in the instrumentation, and then it just cuts out and goes into a very uplifting and very harmony-focused Uh, just almost cheer, almost a praise for music as he's going through it. Well,
0: yeah, I mean, the, the vocals, I mean, the way he's belting out Who Do You Love... When it all comes down to truth, who do you love? When it all comes down, to, comes back to you. But he rings it out the way he says, it, who do you love? And like carries the note. I do a poor example of it. But, but he carries that note. And what I love about the way he carries that note is it feels effortless. Like I know it's not. I know it's hard work to sing. But there's a smoothness to his vocals that
1: feels effortless. But, and this is where I'm going to draw my biggest complaint to date probably on this whole album is that when the harmonies step in, they're gorgeous, but I, I'll be honest, it feels like in, in some instances, not in the
2: bridge, but in the chorus specifically, it kind of weakens his effect. Um, I
1: don't
0: know
2: that I agree with I'm that. I'm back and forth on that. I think it's more like it's more like they're just not terribly noticeable to me. It's a matter of, uh, if I were comparing against last week, which I know is terribly unfair, but you know, I I adored the use that the backup singers had in, in, uh, in Second Relations Eno because of how it really did enhance the music. It was another element, it was just as important, and it is really honestly, it's rare that I find backup singers that are as important as all the other instrumentalists as well as the primary vocalist himself. In this case, it falls as mm, a member of the pack in just being there and if you happen to be a backup vocalist and want to express your discontent with Steve's statement um, you can email him at
0: steve dot nagel at Cool. I know take it I'm back I take out now I feel Um but no I see what you're saying and I think where John's coming from I don't know that I necessarily agree with I think that his vocals shine throughout the track and I think that the
2: the uplifting chorus that comes up behind him just fills out the feel allow me to clarify just really quick I think it is a matter of backup vocalist, it's the challenging thing to employ them in a way that doesn't seem tacky. Because, yeah. of course, there is, you know, you pick a line and then everyone joins in. They all joined in for verse two. You kind of expect that that's going to naturally enhance the force of the track. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's just common in gospel. I feel like it's a, it's a staple of the genre. So it's tough for me to hear that in a way that sounds unique. Like, I want to hear it in a way that actually elevates the And I hear you. You're saying essentially
0: it sounds like gospel and you want to say it sounds like gospel that's doing X yeah. which it's
1: not and the other thing is a lot of times when he's using the harmonies to enhance his vocals they're going for I guess a reaching idea like a less grasp to the air up to the stars kind of a an it's a overall feeling yeah but his voice can do it by itself
0: yeah but he wanted to
1: change it up a bit instead of just doing it with his voice but his voice so, can do it so, by itself so that's what i mean though he he doesn't actually need help in a lot of instances but don't uh, but don't to, look, to look at it as out. help
0: look at it as as another layer mm,
1: for now okay <laughs> i'll
0: give you for now okay um That said, though, I think that this song just kind of has a punch that is, like I said earlier, it's easy to get wrapped up in. And what I love is that it it culminates pretty well. I mean... You know, you have this, you know, keep singing, and you're just rousing, table-pounding almost feel.
2: And then it has just this beautiful piano outro that's just very sweet. A solemn piano outro. I mean, yeah. I kind of discounted the piano in jest in the beginning, but it is a nice a nice foundation for the yeah. song. It does become everything. You know, you—it maybe it's not a matter of even just the backup vocalist or just the piano. It pales in comparison to his vocals, and that's just true for the song. Yeah. So... You know, it's 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 a nice somber, understated bracket. You have it at the beginning, and you have it at the end, and you notice it most in those instances. But you don't really notice the piano as much in the middle of the track. Yeah, it's 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 a layer that's uh, like you said, like a foundation. It's it's at the core of the track, but it's not it, it necessarily never left, stands out. Yeah, but yeah, it was just always kind of there. Track two, Angels on My Side. Um... So you start off here with the single chords on the electric guitar ringing ring in the background beneath the opening verse, which, by the way, are just these short, kind of hurried phrases. Sometimes I don't feel like waking up. It's even kind of quicker than that. And he continues, want to stay inside my dreams. But then you always pause between each of these lines. You wait. Sometimes I just don't feel like waking up. You wait. So I want to stay inside my dreams and you wait. Sometimes I feel like I'm breaking up and you wait. Do you know just how that feels? So it's, uh, it's a little pared down, but the interesting thing that I found about this is how quickly it went. It all lasted about uh, no, no longer than eight measures. And when the pre-chorus
1: steps in, it's, it's really working a very heavy beat. I like the beat. I'm liking this kind of thumping nature because it has a different character than the previous track, though it does seem to have a lot of similarities in theme almost from, from the get-go. Hope is for the hopeful. It's a dream that never dies. Safe is for the faithful. I see it in your eyes. He's already using a lot of the same imagery and terminology from the previous track, where it's there's a safe place, there's a place of joy, there's a place of hope. He's already building
2: a, a fairly strong theme on, on just these first two tracks. And I know this is a, kind of an obvious point about a pop track, but really, this both the verse and the pre-chorus go by in the blink of an eye, and yeah. then suddenly we're at the chorus, which, I'll admit, had a really nice step to it. I think it was just a matter of, you know, in pop tracks, you really want to get to that chorus, because that's the thing that is going to hook people the most. That's what's going to keep people. So why bother waiting around through all this fluff? Why bother hearing the story? You just want to hear the point. The overall point, the moral of it, is he's got angels on his side and he's got angels flying high and everything's going to be all right because he's got angels on his side. And he tells us later that we do too. Sweet. It is.
0: (laughs) Well, and I think, like, going back just a little bit to the intro before I talk about the chorus and what my favorite part was, is that, like the previous track, we started with single instrument, vocals, and then beat. And that's kind of the progression we're gonna see you know, come back again. But what I liked here was that at least it was a different instrument and it did give a bit of a different tone. When we get to the chorus though, brief as the verse in pre-chorus or the intro in pre-chorus, whatever we're calling it, you know, it's funny. Steve predicted it off the air that he knew I was going to like this. But there's this moment where his falsetto comes out amidst the line. What, do you remember at what lyric it happens? I
2: got angels on my side, and he says that a few times. Obviously, it's well, it's the title of the track. But then, in the very last phrase, last time he says, "I got angels on my side," that syllable of angels. It feels like it's raised up an octave as opposed yeah. to whatever lower note it had been. So he says it more flatly the first few times. The final one, he really belts it out with that higher falsetto. So this is like what I said in the very beginning about his vocals. The beginning of the album, his falsettos are probably the thing that that reach out in as color for his overall vocal format.
0: Yeah, it's like a musical magic trick almost, because yeah. he can pull it out at any time, yeah. but amidst stuff that you kind of go, oh cool, how did he
2: do that? You know, even though obviously you know how. It's yeah. just, it's those kind of fun little moments that you focus in on. It's unique because mostly we're finding, you know, uh, bands that the vocalists are always in falsetto. Right. Or that they're always in falsetto, maybe for the duration of a certain section. For him, it's just a note. Yeah. Just a single note, and then he jumps right back on cue. It's a lot of cue. control, too, to do it. Is. come back and go down.
1: But I wasn't a huge fan of the actual chorus. Outside of the vocals it was it was a strum a beat and a heavy reliance on piano power chords and this becomes a stickler later on yeah but between the the two step of the rhythm and the the reliance on the power chords it's good here it's not great here but it's good here it's just something that after that first chorus kind of permeates the whole song it doesn't really relent and it got to be a little bit much by the end.
2: It got to be a little bit too driven by the end, especially on that two-step rhythm. I came around to agree with that for the most part. I think it is a little bit lackluster, Uh, but I do think, like, if you could view this in a different light, if it, let's say, got more radio play, and I'm sure it probably will get some radio play because it's Rick Astley, but maybe not so much as, let's say, Pharrell Williams' Happy which really dominated last year. Was it a year or two years ago? I don't even remember. It feels like it's been around forever. Oh, please. (laughs) Point is, it it really is. If it hasn't been around a long time, it's been around everywhere omnipresently. And in many... You know, there's a lot of... Cross crossover here in terms of just, oh, try to be happy, try to be happy. Well, this is at least try to be happy about what you have to be thankful for. You have angels on your side. Obviously means that, well, you know, we all have, ha- have been lucky to a certain extent. We're not dead. Right. If you're listening to this, you're not dead. You're clearly a lot luckier than all those non-people out there. Well, no, it's it's further
1: than that. It is deeper than that. It's more of a. There's always somebody or something watching out
2: for you. It does have that sort of death going for it. yes yeah, It's not. It's just, not
1: shallow. I will say that he ha- He isn't being shallow. I'm not. About set, this I'm not sort
2: of setting thing. only the low bar as to exist. But okay. we probably all have a lot to be thankful for. Hey, this is going to be out around Thanksgiving. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I will say, though, I don't know that I share John's view to the extreme. I hear your complaint,
0: and I understand why it might bother you, but I just don't feel that. I think the song was uplifting enough and had enough energy to it that, like the first track, I just got wrapped up in it, and and the flaws kind of washed past me. It's not that they're not
1: there. It's just that they didn't really affect me very much. It was the first time that it was the most in my face right the second time less so because then I did actually start focusing on the words as opposed to just his smooth lilt that he throws throughout everything Mm -hmm. Uh, the third time it was definitely I still noticed it I still knew it was there just like in the first strike I still noticed the clapping was there but I got a lot more accepting of it I got a lot more well he's being uplifting I'm not used to happy I, I know a lot of like don't turn into me well no there's a plenty of Of depressing music, I find interesting, or angry music,
2: I find interesting. It's hard to find. Happy music, interesting at least for me. Well, it is true, so you know. Was, a lot of people have come to. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I, th- I know the success that frail Williams' Happy has had, you know, in the last couple of years, but it it uh, it, it hasn't seen that same success with everyone. A lot of people it, they're exhausted by it, and well, I think it's easier to become exhausted by happier tracks. And I think that's why this does start to feel by the, by the end of of what is still probably a very short track, it's very par for the course in pop terms. It does kind of you. You know, alright, everything's gonna be alright, I get it. I guess I don't know, I guess I'm just not as jaded as you two. Well oh. it's <laughs> actually
1: this might be an argument later, but I'll just preface this. Happy is less interesting than the other things. And to, depression. I've made this anger. point of this podcast. Yeah, so yeah but and times. I don't but
2: I don't know that I agree with that necessarily. I'm yeah, no, sidetrack. Side side all right, Parades are supposed to be fun but have you ever actually watched a parade on the street when it's raining from beginning to end? By the end of it, you kind of want to kill yourself. You can't you can't see another balloon. Like, it, it, it's just enough. It's enough. Okay, he's jaded. He's definitely <laughs>
1: jaded.
0: This went dark really quick. I'm going to okay. move on to the next track and save us. So the track three is Wish Away, and we're already starting to see a little bit of a genre shift that pop tends to do. We have another song that starts with guitar, but here we get this kind of... Beautiful, almost indie rock kind of guitar. John said something that was really funny that I didn't have a frame for. Yeah, I'm stealing your words.
1: No, give them back. Uh Okay, and now I'm going to put it out. I thought it it was like a message to bears kind of a track. Like the guitar felt straight out of that, just do a nice pivot rhythm indie guitar. Make it acoustic, make it smooth, and just work everything around that rhythm guitar.
0: What was even more
2: interesting is that John cited uh, "Life Is Strange," which we took care, of, we talked about in episode two oh nine, and "Message to Bears" was two ten. These episodes are way too recent in our pantheon to be making like <laughs> references towards. But that one's still in my right, everything. Yeah, a now, it is more of a generalized indie rock intro, and yeah. certainly indie rock classified a lot of the Life Is Strange soundtrack. But as a sample, I do like the style. Yeah. It does kind of go back to my critique of. You know, it's more of a bookstore riff. You can kind of get relaxed by it, but it actually does have the, the sadness there. You know, there's, there's something in this that I just really like. If it, it, could, it could invite some introspection, and I think that's what the intro has going for it most. Actually, that introspection shows up hardcore when the pre-chorus comes
1: in, not just because he starts using his falsetto, which is still gorgeous, but who do you turn to, who do you call to find the love you need? Before you stumble, before you fall, turn to me, turn to me. And then the chorus, which is some of the better lyrical work on the album. Because I see stars shining like a wish for every one of us. I see silver linings every day. I see stars shining. A wish to grant us a miracle. There are billions of stars in our Milky Way, so wish away.
2: I think this should be the new intro to Cosmos. Right? Actually, it's it's a very deep
0: idea. Well, and it's also, it's not just a sweet message, but this idea of putting it out there that there are so many stars in this world and if all you have to do is wish on a star, there's an unlimited amount, so just wish away as much as you want. It's just, it's an... Overwhelmingly optimistic song, and you know, I find myself especially lately needing that kind of thing. So it's well, cathartic for me. Well,
2: ca- catharsis. I wouldn't say it's cathartic. I think there has to be a little more of a jolt in the music for me to feel catharsis from. This. Okay, fair. But but I do think I that is comfort. That is more though. interest. Yes, comfort, absolutely. And also, I think that maybe that's why that little bit of introspection there. At least there is. There's a more mature analogy going on here, right? And it's
1: accompanied by a bass in the chorus that does a lot to counterpoint his vocals, to really add a lot of depth to his ponderings that you wouldn't necessarily get, because all you're really doing besides that bass is the acoustic guitar is sort of a mid-ground between the two. So having his vocals, especially when he starts getting higher register counterpointed with the nice deep tones of the bass did a lot to really create an expanse in the room as you're Mm -hmm. listening to it. And that right there, that's where it, it went from just being a song about being happy. The previous two tracks, about being happy. This was Hope. And Hope is definitely a much... Deeper term for me when it comes to the you know the positive scale, like hope hope is something that has to be used in the face of something sad well, or like in the a face par- of
2: like in a parade you hope, Stop you with hope the parade. but but <laughs> I,
1: that lends so much more weight when i 'm getting a, still a positive feel from this track, but it 's not just all right, be happy and kind of just not along this is there 's something more than what you already have that is a
2: great idea, but it it's it's so much deeper and so much more connectable for me there is definitely a gravitas there and i also think that interestingly, this is one of the few tracks on the album that doesn't have so much of a stark cut between the verses and the choruses, Mm -hmm. being like, ah, it's obvious we're in the chorus right now. Instead, his vocals and the instrumentation stay kind of the same throughout, and it didn't register to me immediately that it was a chorus, but there are these key moments in here that I absolutely love in the choruses themselves, specifically, and I think they are also Matt's, because it kind of goes back to an earlier point, but just before we get to that, like overall, the chorus, alright, it feels like the, the verse except there's a delicate drum accompaniment. And then his vocals are slightly more involved, but that's about the only difference until the moment that stands out. When I see stars. And when he says when I see stars the first couple times, it feels very natural. The sounding familiar? The final phrase, he takes that one word, he emphasizes stars, and it goes up this time a full octave and not just a fifth. That is another case where he kind of goes into his falsetto, but instead it's more of a pitch thing. It's not that I necessarily felt falsetto, there. This was just a little bit of a range change. I know it's kind of an old trick, but it really, I, I think because it didn't occur amidst a chorus that sounded all together, you know, samey like choruses usually do, it stood out for the song and not just for the chorus. And that's why it was a special moment to me. And the first chorus gets followed up with one of the better actual verses
1: on the entire album, when you try your very best but chances slip away and the heart beating in your chest is broken for the day, right back into that pre-course, who do you turn to? Who do you call? That's probably the darkest he's gotten so
2: far in that True. someone ha- you failed. You actually did do – f- you do bad. Yeah. Failure is a thing. And the thing is, he mentions that, you know, where you feel it's your heart is broken for the day. And his vocals, in that earlier, in the verse 2, his vocals are quite a bit more broken here than they were in the first verse. So we see some development in ensuing verses as well. His his vocals are are. Broken not like they're cracking, but he employs a vibrato that quivers from syllable to syllable that shows a lot of weakness that I really liked before we get another chorus. so there's a lot of a lot of blending here and then the character of I guess it's the character of Rick because of of, of of him
1: doing most of the singing almost oh it's all him. The same. Yeah, yeah this is a very personal album. It's It's called 50. His face is in the cover. And it's called 50. But the bridge, what he presents in the bridge also is a very, very inviting point to really feel empathetic for what he's, he's telling us. Now I've been low, so very low, and I've had no place to go, and it felt like diamonds slipping through my hands. And I've been down, so very down, and I've been lost around this town, and sometimes no one understands. I felt that way. Yeah, like right. multiple times, I've felt that way in my life. They are very relatable lyrics. But it's—I'm kind of surprised that I'm actually at this point. That I, because the first two, I wasn't connecting with, but this one seems to have done. they done like a full 180. I really am enjoying "Wish Away." I really am identifying with "Wish Away," and I don't think I've ever really felt this way before. And that I want to give hope to somebody, which is where I see Him coming from, where I actually see him just being like, "All right, here, you you don't have to feel down." Usually, I just feel down. you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> I, I think for me, I just
0: connected with the first two tracks on a different level. It was kind of a more superficial. I they were catchy, and I really like singing along. Yeah. Whereas here, there is definitely a more weighted emotion to the track,
2: and there are musical reasons for it as well, like the points I said earlier. And then even here in the bridge, uh, this is this seems so silly, but you know, I notice as he says, I feel I feel low, so very low. I feel down, so very down. The whole pro- chord progression here is actually a downward chord progression. It's getting lower, so he feels low, so he goes low. Yeah. And you feel that in the music. Yeah, I mean, sure. it's so obvious that it, it could easily be overlooked, but sometimes it's these silly things that actually do affect us subconsciously. You For know, sure. that's, what, that's what invites the empathy in us all. So let's go to track four, This Old House, uh, which is a great show, by the way, on PBS where you can watch old houses be restored to their prior uh, turn-of-the-century state. Okay, I don't know that this is a theme for that. but oh, Probably not. Probably this not.
0: time on This Old House. I think they do
2: right. have a British version of it, though. PBS likes to do crossovers That's like That's true. Um,
0: so we get another uh, piano intro, but this time it's much closer to the mic and a lot crisper. It almost sounds so crisp it feels unreal. And I think what happened, what helps is also there's kind of this ambience to this whole intro, from the way the kind of drum and bass comes in to even the first line he says, because the intro phrase that he says is kind of this echoey, far
2: off version before the actual song. Came but out. let's n- let's n- even enjoy the beginning before yeah. we get that opening line, because all right, it is it's almost an eerie piano intro. Eh, e- I won't go so far as to say echoey, echoey, but you have the the backdrop of a steady synth drone on G minor at the high end, and then the piano overhead feels kind of disconnected from it, because it's so dry, but of course it's basically outlining G minor, so you get the same tone, and then you hear that disembodied voice. Can you feel it? Can you feel it that man in the wilderness, so yeah, ambience, atmosphere, these are not words that i don 't think are going they 're not going to come up too commonly in, in on this album or in pop music in general, but this particular track he seems to have he seems to have found a little bit of a stride, and I was interested to see what he had to, what he had to say and do musically. He does break the cycle that I was getting a little bit tired of, which was make that first verse all about this
1: introduction just stick with a guitar or stick with a piano because when he actually does start singing This Old House is Made of Stone he goes into a, a solid little bass rhythm that's just fun to go along with but it, it leads me to, to to see that he's doing the same sort of build in this track that he's done over and over again first verse is a singular instrument or a double instrument with heavy emphasis on one of the two And the pre-chorus introduces the first actual layer on top of it. The chorus itself adds that third layer, and and that is what the song sits on. That's the laurels it sits on. Yeah, but that doesn't really happen here. I mean, we get that... No, that's exactly what happens here. No, because we
0: get that intro piano, and then the bass comes in and plays really heavily and fast. Yes,
1: but the bass is the verse... And then the piano steps back in in the pre-chorus, mm. and then the chorus adds synth. And that's the progression this time. Yeah, but I would
0: argue that because this song is more shaped as a modern dance track, the instrumentation does change
1: up a lot more than that. Uh, the build, the, I would the agree, things is that, that way. And the things that are introduced in the pre-chorus and the chorus do permeate the secondary verses and the bridge yeah. and everything like that. That's like, what I they wanted to point flow through out. more, yeah. and it does end up being a... Not a great I'm not really grooving along to it, but I could definitely see how this is def is in the realm of
2: a club track or a 1990s club track, but it's 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 more delicate than that you know there's i i like I like riffs that don't feel like riffs if yeah. that makes any sense and there's something about this piano yeah I can't deny it is a riff because it does recur frequently throughout the track it's a piano riff essentially but it doesn't feel that way in the beginning and that to me is just enough to elevate it a little bit above all the previous tracks which were doing similar things as setting up rips that just feel a little bit more like this thing that's going to be hammered into the ground by the time we get to the end of the song this it's it's more it's more tastefully used it's more sparingly used in and fact, that's why i think there was more there was more musical emotional soul it was really noticeable in the the sort of like post-chorus
1: hook transitional little piece where the siren synth comes in to complement that
2: original piano work that's used just to bridge back into the verse itself. Yeah, and that was an interesting moment, which is like, this this is a club track, you're right, but it's like a late, late night club track where you're actually thinking about the music, perhaps, because things are winding down and not just you know accepting it as this thing that's playing on the speakers that you should be dancing to. It's actually affecting you for the first time. It feels like the kind of thing that would be really well-positioned on some kind of club soundtrack toward the very end before last call. All of that said, though, about the music and instrumentation, we should talk about the lyrics
0: a little bit because while the instrumentation is enough to engage me for all those reasons that you guys cited. Unfortunately, the lyrics, though, they don't ruin the song for me by any
2: means. They... Repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. And they, re- and they repeat, but they have one thing going for them, and that is they're abstract. They are. I mean, they're not. I mean, not uh, not like abstract is inherently a good thing, but they do make you think. Because I was, you, know, you made that joke like uh, when I made the this old house joke as referring to the TV show, because I'm actually thinking about houses, which means you probably thought, well, this this has to be a metaphor, right? Right. This old this old house. But the more I was thinking about it, like all right, the guy's in his 50s, was this actually him referring back to his old house? Or if not quite so on the nose, then a generalized like nostalgia feel? The kind of environment that you used to live in that could be easily compared to it your a, old house? It could also be just the mentality of... This is my mind, this is my house, this is where I live. You live inside that's where your I, head. And then that's where I started to go a little bit later. That it is just, you live inside your head, and maybe this old house is just little little grooves that I get back into, little, little ruts that I make it back into. Because there are negative connotations here, even in the first verse, you know, in this old house, I'm all alone. This is where I live my life. You almost don't really feel like this is just simple nostalgia. No. Right? It doesn't I, feel that, that careless, that carefree. I mean,
0: yeah. And I mean, I even pointed out a line to you off the air uh, in the second verse that also is repeated towards the end that we couldn't even really make that much sense of and it added more to the abstract. So verse two is, this old house is who I'll be and this old house holds memories. This old house is going to see me younger. This old house, and that—it's li- that line is going to see me younger. The other lines, I can kind of surmise, you know, essentially what he's
1: saying. But he's going to see me younger. Like, what does that mean? I think if we're going to go with the meta level of it's his mind—it's—it's it's how you see yourself.
0: It's—it's it's actually seeing your memories, like, like nobody projection like almost.
1: At the end of the day, I don't think anybody really sees themselves as they are now. They see themselves the way other people did in the past because that's the pictures you see and that's the sort of mentality because you don't feel like you've changed that much necessarily from 10 years ago or 15 Ooh, years ago. That's
2: interesting because yeah. I had caught a line from the first verse which I was about to uh, approach with the same giant question mark as you just approach that single line because you have all those other things like I said easily can surmise most of it makes sense the metaphor seems to follow it seems to jive and then the first verse so in this old house it's where I live my life in this old house gonna make you my wife. Like there actually is a little bit of a disconnect there, but then when John said what he said, if you're if you're if you're back in that environment, then it's not a matter of you are my wife or a matter of the present day. I'm actually not sure of his marital state currently at all. He but isn't has that a nice? Yeah, there you are. Then it's kind of a matter of of thinking of your current spouse in terms of that. I will be with you. Like, yeah. the way you thought when you were younger, when you were dating. And that is a really sweet message. Well, and also it's we could this be idea... reading into this too hard. Well, well it's also, oh, it's this idea of, you know, a house is shelter. And people
0: can be your shelter, too. So, you know, this old house, you're going to be my wife. Like,
2: this idea that shelter can be, come in many forms. They could be that as well. I see it as going back into a prior mental state. Yeah. Where there's more innocence. But. And here's the big but. As much as I love these little turns of phrases that he does put in
1: the verse and the pre-chorus and everything, this old house being repeated as much as it is kind of numbs the whole song to me because that repetition... It loses a lot of meaning as we go along and sort of just washes away a lot of these other things we could be focusing on. See I
0: felt that way initially but with the instrumentation and the changes to the music I let go of that repetition because the of the meaning there but I hear what you're saying because I did upon the first couple of listens I did really feel that way. I think I had to transcend past it um, but you can get bogged down in the repetition a little easily if you're just focusing on what
2: he's saying. Yeah I, I guess I kind Kind of took it both ways. For me, this track was probably more more beneficial because of the fact that it really gave the instrumentation a chance to breathe. I mean, that's been a little bit of a problem earlier. Like you said, you're making fun of me for not uh, bringing up instrumentation, because it's not a whole hell of a lot to bring up earlier in the album. It's mostly the same tools being utilized in a fairly standardized fashion just to provide a framework and a foundation over which Rick Astley can do his thing. And that's all the music has really been for me for all these tracks until here. It took a club track, really, to let the instrumentation shine. And so if his vocals pull back. a little bit i'm fine with it let's go to track five pieces which i unapologetically love it's my favorite track on the album Ah. and
1: it's primarily because i think it's some of his and it's 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 some of his weakest vocal work coupled with my favorite lyrics on the album and weakness is actually a positive thing because he does take a step back from belting in this track, and that's what struck me the most because I want to say it's the least produced or... I don't know how else to to really describe it. because it's
2: produced. I actually thought there were many things about this that felt produced. You know, you have... It's more of a ballad. You start out with piano, cello, and, of course, tambourine. Just just throwing the tambourine. And you don't really get a lead in. It kind of just dives you in immediately. So we're we're still in that environment. But there was really kind of a Beatles feel to this track. And specifically, you know, George Martin, the producer for the Beatles. And it was his little flares, the kinds of things that he would do as a producer, uh... To those tracks, I felt kind of here. I felt sort of uh, the same style, or at least the same the same uh, soul. Like at the end of the chorus, the last phrase, you have these chords that just kind of hop upwards. It's very gleeful. And in that sense, I would argue that it is very produced. Uh, the production is the wrong word. That's not. I don't know how else to describe it. But
1: it feels like there's a little bit of a quiver in his voice that wasn't there before. It sounds like there's a, some of the smoothness is actually gone. That he act. Mm. It, it feels it more a emotional. a little more raw. Exactly. And that Oh
2: that kind of production.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like it it doesn't feel like in in a lot of pop nowadays you get a lot of smoothing out with synth machines so that a vocalist sounds perfect. Well here his perfection is actually showing some cracks. And the other thing that's showing up is the piano is the one that's complementing his accents and his choices and his emphasis. It's not the bass. It's not the bass counterpart, which I was coming to expect in
2: a lot of the other pieces for it to keep showing up there, because it works so well. The piano and also the guitar, you know, I noticed in verse 2, his lyrics, um, unlike verse 1, here his lyrics are actually interspersed by these little whammy guitar inserts. Like he says, line, then you have the little guitar echo, or the call and response thing between vocals, guitar, vocals, guitar. So there are uh, lots of little things coming in, I guess. That i didn't notice so much the, any, any uh, particular weakness on his vocals well, it's just the rawness
1: and I raw I now. feel like now that the, those guitars are showing up as little sharp interjections, and I think that's where it really comes down to the difference between what the piano guitar are doing and the bass in previous tracks. The bass tones that come through are long, are drawn out, that are two, three beats instead of just a smattering instead of just sharp attacks in and around his actual vocal work, and that's what's making it feel so much more real and so much more raw than some of his other stuff.
2: Well I think it was either chorus two or chorus three. He does employ these little glissandos, like at the end of the choruses you have these big slides that felt very they felt very relieving to me. So maybe it was just the smoother nature of the track that, yeah, maybe it's a little bit rawer, but I think it was it was kind of gentle. It was a gentle easy to enjoy kind of track, as shallow as that sounds. I mean, well and you're not wrong though, and except catch.
0: the lyrics aren't. So the lyrics are way more aggressive, especially for Rick Astley. At this point, more or less you could insert any of the last four songs we've heard in a kid's movie or, or a teen comedy. Like they they have that versatility for kind of an innocent, sort of speak, but here, like the lyrics are actually pretty aggressive. I called it like a vigilante's theme because it kind of feels like something Batman or the like it doesn't would say. to the music at all?
2: No.
1: Reaching for my crossbow, I patiently take aim. I've got you in the crosshair. Never gonna hurt me or anybody else again. Well, right? has gone postal. Yes. <laughs> Yes, you rule the world for now, you do. Yes, you rule the world for now. Yes, you you rule the world, you and all your money. Yes, you rule the world. (laughs) I'm starting with you, and then I'll tear the room to pieces, to pieces. I'm starting with you, then I'll tear the room to pieces, (laughs) to pieces. Like, okay, that's It's funny that we spent so long without reading that, but geez. Um, I don't know what to do with that. But that's the crux, because by the time we get to the bridge... I'll put away my crossbow, so empty all your guns. Maybe there's another way to get things done. And it's Aww. followed up by a, a yeah. reimagining of there's the pre-chorus. But the chorus, the final chorus we get, I'm starting with you, and then we'll find a place where peace is. Where peace is. And I love the way he does a slight emphasis change just to show that it's not pieces, it's peace is. Yeah, And that ever. right there was was such a crux for this track that it finally
2: brought it from from the place where it was and brought it to the music and music does match it it does match it well I in the beginning i don't think the music was ever as uh if you referred to it as raw, it may have simply been ignorant of the fact that there's a problem. Like the music is just there, you know, while he's like he's just sitting there boiling with rage. But the music, you know, it's just you barely even notice it. And then at the tail end, the, the, he kind of catches up to the music, and the music goes even a step further because the end of that bridge has quite the uplifting twist at the end. And you do even have a choir in the background, so you have that too. Also, just kind of bring the world together. It, it's foreshadowing,
0: I would say, musically, because it's giving you the tone of the end of the song at the beginning, and it still evolves beyond that. So I think yeah. it's well, actually
1: kind of clever. Has that had that been the intent, which I believe it is? I would even say I would not foreshadowing, but the music is the character. But this is just the the thoughts of the character and the undertow. He's at his core still a gentle soul, and yeah. remembers that by the end of this. Idea of then this train of thought that he he isn't a violent person that he is a peaceful person yeah. and recaptures that as part of who he is so it really does a lot to show show another aspect that we kind of started getting in like wish away where there's there's multiple layers going on and there's more than just being happy there's in this case it's fighting badness. It's fighting your more base desires or your darker thoughts, and it shows that you can win,
2: that you can persevere. Yeah, no, I think all of that is there. I I think that for me, though, this track in the end, considering I was fairly ignorant of these lyrics when I was listening to it, but reading it now, it is really a nice message. I don't think the music did so much to bring that out. I may have made that point before about how it appears to be kind of separate, but then, you know, he catches up to it, but that all wasn't apparent in the initial listen. That doesn't take away from the goal. But what I do like about the song most is the fact that in the songwriting itself, that's where I find the glitter. It's in the melodies and it's not in, for once, it's not in his natural vocal range or his timbre. It's not even in the random little pieces of color, like like the instrumentation, or even in those occasional falsettos. It really is just in the melody itself, and the slides that entails. Maybe that's color to you, but to me it all feels like an integrated song, and that's what I liked about it best. So let's go to track. Six, Dance.
1: Oh, okay. As much as it's been a happy-go-lucky love fest, this one feels like it was a dance song, another dance song, another club song that didn't quite get to fruition for me. I like the idea of what's going on. I like the juxtaposition of the story he's telling of God walking into the park, meeting the devil, and teaching the devil the error of his ways through dance. <laughs> if that sounds shallow, it is. That's the whole thing. That, and that.
2: All you gotta that do is dance. That bothered me. We've heard this before. We've heard this. Uh, I remember in episode two hundred, we did uh, Justin Timberlake's. What was that track again, Matt? Oh, um, can't stop dancing. Can't I stop dancing. That's uh, after we went through our top ten, and I believe that was the third from the top. And it, it 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 kind of saved us from that experience a little bit. So there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I think actually that it's probably one of the most relatable things, even for people who aren't dancing. At least they want to feel that way but yeah, it's a little shallow. Oh, I, th- I think the song here
0: kind of loses itself because it's a much simpler premise. It's kind of just a life is okay song, tone-wise. I know there is a narrative, sort of, but the tone more or less throughout the whole song is this dancey club track that's giving you this feeling of life's simple pleasures or that everything's okay. I mean, especially when you boil down Beelzebub and God having it out through dance. That's, I mean, kind of
2: is. Simple as it gets. First of all, there's no club I think that would play this. No, not, I mean not not the clubs that you're thinking of. Right, it would be for a little bit of a younger age group because there's something so almost storybook to this. Even in the way he delivers the lines, you know, if that with that opening verse, God walks home through the local park, meets the devil with a broken heart, and he says. I've been let down by the armies of darkness. Oh, my whole life's a mess. And God says... And there's almost like he he shifts the tone of his voice as if he was reading a passage out yeah. of a storybook. And God says, and then you go into the voice. And in this case, because it's music, he goes into the dance. Because that's the cure. That The cure is dance that will solve all your problems. But at least that was a different approach, you know? Yes, and in the first verse and pre-chorus, we're getting... I'm still enjoying the
1: guitar work. I'm still enjoying the piano work, but when that chorus hits, all you gotta do is dance. Pick your feet up. All you gotta do is dance, feel the beat, love. All you gotta do is dance, dance with me. It goes so happy-go-lucky in that moment. It goes so just saccharine sweet in that moment, in that chorus, and it never really recovers from it because it. there's so many directions that chorus could have done with what was what was immediately preceding it. To go that kind
2: of generic, I want to say? There is a lot of... I think most of this song, most of it, is a little bit generic to my ears. Until the bridge. We have to kind of fast forward to that. Because after we go all right back and forth with this kind of... Matt almost referred to it as the chorus as like having a, a Muppet effect. Not well, that yeah. we don't like the Muppets. We love the Muppets. But there is this... like they, It almost feels like... Like this carefree nature that almost feels
0: frivolous even you yeah. know it just feels kind of a uh, carefree
2: ignoring your responsibilities kind of just well, flailing like people around. people can't jump around like the Muppets right. you know our, our, our necks would be cracked because <laughs> we, we're not that we're not that dislocated but um <laughs> later in the bridge this does actually bring something something a little bit late in the game comes back and that is the gospel one of the first times I actually enjoyed it because it actually was sort of a jam between his vocals and and the gospel background. They just kind of like mess they 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 jam, they combo off of one another. It's actually very interesting for that short span. And then, of course, I believe you do get one more chorus at the end.
1: But the the ideas that show up in that bridge do permeate the final chorus, and it does that extended chorus gets a little bit rewound by the end of it, mm-hmm. where it feels like they kind of just go back to form, go back to home. Maybe I didn't notice that so But that, but so that much bleed because... over into it was enough to to try to, to make me feel, to to try to reach out and touch me in this case, because it wasn't just saccharine sweet. It was something that felt like he was trying to proclaim something. It felt like a mountaintop kind of a moment for this
2: track almost unrelated i find it funny that this track actually for for as uh, carefree as it is it actually had to have a radio version yeah. and it's all oh. just because of one line uh i believe this was second verse now the devil thanks god and he's on his way skipping his stride what a beautiful day and along comes a cracker with a gun in his hand beelzebub knows he's gotta gotta save this man and the devil says well apparently can't say cracker with a gun so it became slacker with some fun <laughs> I don't yeah. You know, that yeah. is that is a big Lebowski moment. Well, I feel like that's an intentional that's edit. What you do when you meet a stranger in, stranger in the Alps?
0: Well, I mean, I think <laughs> it's also meant to be an intentionally silly edit. Like a lot of the made like TV versions of rated R movies, like the overdubs are intentionally ridiculous because what else are
2: you going to do? That's the reference I'm making. The Lebowski yeah. is one of the most the goofiest that they ever yeah. uh, came up with. I guess I can't say that in air because we technically bleep our stuff too, don't we? I mean, you've been a little lazy about it. I have been. So. Yeah, well, Go search th- Stranger in the Alps and you'll find the answer. <laughs> I think this is a good moving on point to track seven. Track I like seven. the sun. I like the sun too. We
0: all like the sun. No, actually, in all seriousness, if it's cloudy for more than two or three days, I get
2: depressed because I get deficiency on vitamin d and actually in all seriousness i'm lying i don't like the sun that much it, it makes the world hot that's why like he it. doesn't recognize here comes the sun is probably
0: one of the top three beatles tracks. one of it is one of the top three one of the top beatles tracks yeah and that's period what, yeah sorry steve yeah sorry
2: Dry right. heats are better. <laughs> All
0: right, well, whatever. <laughs> anyway, so needless to say, the song is bright and happy. Shocker. Um, I am quite a fan from the beginning of the track.
1: It's a, it's a very echo-oriented vibe that's going on yeah. right here, not just yeah. in the vocals but also in the guitar work. It's reminding me of, like u2 arena rock which is i can see that it's not really an insult right here i would use that as an insult sometimes but it's a it's a a positive
0: thing right here so u2 arena rock is not an insult if you are in an arena being rocked by u2 because i hear that is still a fantastic experience also there are arena rock bands who will always be entertaining like your acdcs that said we have used it to describe
1: things that we didn't like and what's great is the it's we say it's smooth a lot already about his vocals but the transition from this introduction into the muted rhythm and the long bass is like amazing how how nicely it just folds in on itself it goes yeah. right into that first verse
0: yeah i think that the transitions in this track pretty much all over are pretty solid. I kind of like the way it ebbs and flows throughout. You know, there isn't much to the lyrics here. This is a kind of fun-in-the-sun song, um, which is fine. I, you know, I don't mind that. I feel like, though, between 6 and now this song, we're just kind of falling into this rut, though, where it feels like there's less stuff than in the previous tracks,
1: you know? It, it's uh, Some of the other things that I didn't like earlier are showing up again, like the the, the two-step beat. When it shows up in the chorus, it becomes... Yeah the deciding factor for the later verses, the later pre-choruses, it's just a thump, 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 thump. And...
2: It doesn't really replicate that heartbeat that I love in some tracks. It just yeah. replicates a timepiece. Well, you know, that timepiece thing was also pretty much there in the verse. We may have really liked that transition, you know, from the verse into the pre-chorus, but it was because we got this sudden shift to a march, and that was very timekeeping as well. It's just we kind of liked the the feel of it, you know? It, it almost felt like a montage of, of feet moving, like just, just feet stepping, and all you can see is feet, and you can't see the whole person. And you're just seeing walking and stepping and marching, and it almost reminds me of like the, the way that old cartoons back in the 20s and 30s were always set so so keenly to music, where every single thing that a character did if they moved left, if they moved right, it was always to the music that 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 beautiful magic of rotoscoping. but that's kind of what I get here, but just for that one moment, which goes to show that when you're saying oh, it's a timepiece that really is a, it's almost meaningless. All music is in time, but there is just moments where it just feels like I am not getting any semblance of anything else. We got it in that transition, but we didn't get it very much in the rest of the song. It really was banking on that transition, and it was a well-done transition, but that's about it. You you do have interludes here that I thought were unique, like this keenish... Uh, referring to the band Keen, that is, Uh, this kind of alt-rock interlude. That was kind of nice. I liked the strings here that sort of occur sort of toward the tail end, this sort of uh, strings in funk thing like you would find back in the 70s, like Gene Page stuff. It had that going for it, but all in these bare, rudimentary formats. And it all could have been flushed out a little bit better in every instance. Especially when some of the pieces in the chorus were
1: really like being counterpoints to the the kick drum in the rhythm section where you might get a little bit of strings, like you said, or the guitar work would go really high on the register just Mm -hmm. for the briefest of of bits. But they were then... It was almost
2: like the kick drum would overshadow it later on and just get rid of it. And when you think of it, the album is really full of moments like that. It's been my primary problem with the production is it always feels like they're doing things to generally provide a foundation. And they, along the way, come up with really unique ideas. But because it's always coming back to that pop format in the end, it's not like I'm sitting here expecting this was going to be anything other than a pop album. It's Rick Astley. But I, I, I guess I had... Hoped maybe that a little more of a modernist twist was thrown in on top of it because his vocals could do absolutely anything. They don't have to, I think, fit this, which tells me it's not so much of his problem. It's a, it's the producers in the background. And for all the U2 arena rock that I got in the very beginning, it, it's kind of gone by
1: the first verse. It, 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 it loses all that yeah. until the bridge shows up, and then. They it really was a faux pas for me when there's a crowd cheering him on like I just I don't understand why that sound bite was really necessary to work with the bridge cuz the bridge kind of did something fun nice nice and pared down a little bit more echoey and it was giving that feeling again of reaching out that arena rock does but you don't need a crowd cheering it along not at all well, also, it's not something that stuck around through the end of the song. It was
0: there just for the bridge. As soon as the bridge, yeah, really brief again. It's, it just seemed odd. I don't know that it was a
1: problem for me, but I would agree that it did seem a little strange comparatively. It was. It's like. It's like. Why'd you do that? Kind of a moment. It didn't ruin the song by yeah. any stretch. It's it just seems
2: like an odd choice. Yeah.
0: All right. Let's go on to track eight. Somebody loves me. And while Steve's complaints were valid about the previous few tracks and that we do seem to be falling in this kind of repetition
2: and rut, Somebody Loves Me actually does something a little different. It shows they're trying some new things. This is more of a it, it almost reminded me more of like a, a a Black Sabbath type intro. If you just honed in on on the way on the pace that they usually, I, you know, I can see it, that. it's it's slow. It feels like it's about to go a little bit more heavier rock. It's almost overly dramatic, and and it's paced. Like, yeah, it's especially the, way the slow, beat comes like in. almost you know seventy beats per minute or something like that. It, maybe it's not quite that slow, but it you really do feel it because there's so much. There's so little in between, you know? And there's, at, and like, the weight is clearly focused on those beats as yeah. they hit and those chords as they're strummed. Like, and, that's where the focus lies. And of course it's in the lyrics. It shows that there's, there is some drama at play. He's ready for the fight, he says. So bring it on, tooth and nail. Exhale, I'm ready for the fight. So bring it on. And then he continues, Nobody said that life would be easy. Bodies running around with people trying to please me. Nobody told me that life would be cruel. We'll take a lesson, boy. Back to school. It's, it's a form of taken it to the yard that we don't often see from the likes of Rick Astley but and here's where butt starts showing up the chorus I've got to hold on hold
1: on to the feeling sometimes we all need healing gotta hold on to the feeling that somebody loves me somebody loves me so is all that right. moral all right all right he he he's drawing away from this aggressive stance but it's not like the previous work like in pieces it's more of Uh, two-faced i don't feel like it's as natural a progression from the verses and pre-choruses into the chorus, at least character wise i disagree i don't think it's really two-faced i think it's supposed to
0: be it's supposed to be so distant i think it's supposed to be it's supposed to add to the drama and the weight of the song if you don't feel it and there's a disconnect to you i mean i get that but i think the
2: intent here is for that weightedness to be really felt Well, maybe it seems a little silly to bring up the word shock value here because there are a lot of things in this album that once they appear, you pretty much can expect it for the duration. But there was a little bit of that in the beginning of the song, and it just, once again, it makes me want it more. It makes me want, you know, not just simply the fact that it will be so slow and paced and so heavy and dramatic. It makes me want to see that in the songwriting as well. And I didn't see that in the songwriting. I didn't really see that too much in... In, in the choruses, per se, I I just... Once I felt it in the beginning, it it, it, it kind of numbed on me by the end of the track. Well, it was because it was
1: not just the the drums that were being so forceful. It was the piano doing the same thing. It was the primary guitar doing the same thing. There was a little light guitar trying to show through every once in a while on top of everything else. But it was so quiet that it was just hard to, to see a character emerging out of that. It was... I don't know. It just feels like Rick does not know how to be mean. Aw.
2: I don't think... Uh, maybe I don't there... think
0: there's an intent to be mean here. I think there's intent to
2: feel lost or no, confused it, re- or mean, is, mean is not the word, but it could have used some grit. And right now, the only thing that had the grit was the metronome
0: itself. Well, yeah, I would say that the instrumentation displayed more grit than the lyrics did. But that
1: said, I think... But he's attempting to go aggressive. Like, verse 2, I'm ready for the fire, bring the gasoline and the kerosene. I'm ready for the fire, so let it burn. Except he's he's a crooner at heart, so it's coming off but, a little bit point, too But the point, but the point of this song, yeah, that's
0: irrelevant. The point of the song is to go from aggressive and kind of unhinged to remembering that somebody loves you. I think the point of the lyrics being the way they are is to show that dynamic that eventually you have to come back to home to remember that somebody loves you and to take solace in
1: that. But that's not in the vocals. That's only in the lyrics. I it's disagree. only in
0: the
2: beat. It's I not get in a, the rest I of it. I get a sense of that from the pacing of the lyrics the way he's singing it I'm sitting on a different corner here because I think it is almost in his vocals and it yes is obviously in the beat itself but it's not in the rest of the instrumentation because Mm. all you have is the metronome the beat itself you don't have anything else it's just a lot of uh, it's a lot of holding back that I see in the instrumentation and I think that was uh, the reason this didn't wow me the way it should have based on the blow you know from the first verse yeah, I don't know. I
0: I think... I'm trying to figure out why I just wasn't as... Um, I don't want to say put off, because ultimately I think you guys didn't hate the song, but I think... I don't know, I don't see the, the disconnect like you guys are, I guess. And maybe it's because I the drama that was being sold to us from the minute it started, I bought into right away, whereas you guys needed more
2: convincing and weren't ultimately convinced. But in, in the end, it's probably one of my top three songs because I like potential and potential often can overshadow my my search for more. Right. You know? But that doesn't mean I, I I'm not I'm not gonna say it. Right. <laughs> that's the thing. So, track nine, Let It Rain. So, this is the first time I'm really starting to feel fatigued from the album a
0: bit. You know, six and seven there was, but I still like those songs. But uh, Let It Rain was, I guess, well, actually, my wife, who had been in the room while we were listening, said it was kind of like a banjo-less Mumford & Sons. And I really feel that from the kind of, like, slow and plain... But hints of gospel way the kind of song starts, it, it has a slow marching pace, I would which almost, is what a lot of um, Mumford songs have.
1: They kind of have this build where they start like to build up, but they start kind of slow and low. The, the R&B vocals he presented right away, and that's what I thought it was at first. I really did hone in, and I I thought he was going to do that, or maybe even like subtle hip-hop thrown in there, because that's pop too, and he's exploring pop it was weird to really feel that shift when he went really kick heavy when the piano started to do a lot of the same things that it do and when the choir does come in with the gospel it feels gospel it really does which is got a connection to r&b but at the same time i'm getting folk leanings at this at those exact moments
2: it's it's weird it's got sort of elements of both it definitely does that pop thing where it you know is sort it's of an amalgamation blended, yeah. in the end but if there was a dominant uh, style, I think it's gospel, and this was the most gospel track on the album. We mentioned it, we mentioned it in the first track, and we mentioned it a little bit further on. But this is this takes the cake, and this is where I started to. I mean, we've can you if anyone has listened to the podcast, we've had probably for the last seventeen episodes. I feel like we have encountered some kind of gospel leaning. Not just track, but album as a whole, you know many times in a row, and I think it 's starting to wear on me a little bit or or rather that i 'm noticing that producers in the world have have isolated this and and honed onto it as some kind of flavor of the year. I can't confirm that, but it just seems to be everywhere lately and I think it's time for something else. Cuz I mean, it feels it it never feels completely genuine when I hear it. It always just feels like they're borrowing for from something. Borrowing, 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 never going all the way down. Well, I think my biggest problem with
0: the song, I mean, The gospel was part of it. I feel like I got wrapped up in or enjoyed the gospel more early on. But I think the big problem here for me was that the track as a whole just felt kind of bland. It didn't really go anywhere. Like, at least Somebody Loves Me previously, it went for it. It might not have hit all its marks in all of our opinions, but it at least went for it and had that drama and tried something. Here, I feel that it's just kind
1: of this even thing that didn't really go anywhere or do anything. Which is weird because during the bridge we get something different. A snare drum actually doing more of a call to arms kind of a riff. Uh, the clap comes back, which has been a while since yeah, we had but that, but that's not a positive here. None of these things here. are, like,
2: doing something that really pulls me in, I guess. Well, neither also... neither do the lyrics in this yeah. case. Yeah, yeah. I make, uh, it's so simple when it rains. It just seems so simple when it rains. I feel guilty for your pain. It was me, but I let you take the blame. And after all the damage is done, you still carry on. It feels so simple when it rains. The, then, later on, I won't fear the lightning when it comes. I won't run away from any storms. I won't fear the change. I won't fear the Change it basically goes back to the very overutilized idea of rain as a kind of cleansing mechanism that yeah. after it rains, yes, it can seem like you're going through a spell of darkness because we always relate our, our our feelings back to the weather, but then afterwards the clouds part, the sun comes out, and it seems it seems like a simple, easy turnover turnover a new leaf in life. So, it's all very sweet, but that's a sour, come on, give me some more meat than that.
0: Yeah, I mean, lyrically, it sounds like even a metaphor for relationship troubles, you know, like, you know, especially what you just read. And I feel like he's been more clever with simpler lyrics
2: conveying a different point. I feel like here it's just a little too on the nose, too kind of straightforward for me. I think that's what I felt with the, um, you know, there are a billion stars in the sky and everything, and when you wish on... There's a million wishes they're all out there. I think that actually is a more clever idea to me make. too. Yeah exactly and that's what I think he's trying to do here but it just kind of falls a little flatter yeah. lyrically. Anyway. I realize it's probably a fine line with with many people though like probably. I could I could easily see standing next to someone who would call that a pretty base idea as well. It's just you know maybe it's just what you relate with It could be yeah sure. you guys seem to just love your son. the son is just you're all about that son. look don't wait don't this hate. is
1: a, this is the opposite song and you're just not on board with it so obviously son is better that's my argument I don't know what? yeah you stand by okay. that alright yeah. track 10 pray with me <laughs> so the guitar I work mean. we get in this track is actually
0: a little bit different from what we've gotten before it's This is kind of skip guitar that's like jumping it on chords it feels
1: full-fledged folk at this point it like even more than, than some of the folksy feels that we're getting earlier this one really is almost like Mumford wrote it for them It's a, it's a
0: more playful guitar riff and the drum work here too is even doing a little more than just kind of I mean it is kind of keeping that thump going but there are fainter playfulness around
1: it it's obviously not as omnipresent as the thump though the The whole instrument lineup really seems to be trying to do indie rock yet yeah. the bass seems to have showed up and I'm very happy it showed up again and just do those deep tones once more to sort of like blanket the lowest level so that his vocals can f-
2: play on top of it. Because I really is, liked the bass in this track.
1: It's once again playing very well with his vocal work. But, and here's another but, I don't feel like it does much to really do anything at the end of the day different than Let It Rain. So a lot of, a lot of the complaints I had earlier, just now...
2: It's it's doing the same thing. I'm not sure I agree with you in this track. I think this is the first instrumental that I really liked from the beginning. Or oh, excuse me, not instrumental, but instrument set. It's still a little bit thin, but it's kind of a, a jogging-paced guitar in the beginning. Almost sounds like a banjo, actually. Just these short little quick strums, and I really did enjoy that. And then the bass enhances it later on. Uh, the verse and the chorus, you know, the verses are quaint, but then the choruses, when they come in, they're almost a little scary, and I think this is the heavy rock that I really did want and needed back in Somebody Loves Me. So this was kind of a tail end of the album uh, lift-up. I think if this was a little bit earlier on, I think we'd, be, we'd all be a little bit more glowing about it. It's just now we're sort of starting to know the ins and the outs of this album. I would agree with Steve. I think that the, this
0: does have similar impact to the earlier tracks. I think... You know, for me personally, not to the same degree, but it's in that direction. I think it's on an upswing, like you said, and especially coming from "Let It Rain,"
1: which I just didn't really dig at all. Well, what let here's the similarities I see between this and "Let It Rain." "Let It Rain" brought in things like the snare drum, kind of tropey call to arms. The the clap came back, or the organ that was showed up every once in a while. Here we got the the electric guitar showing up for these weirder transitional pieces. It feels like it's just. Trying to get into the indie rock idea, it's but it was the effective base at times. Yeah, I felt they were actually disconnected. I felt they were kind of like separate ideas, separate elements trying to bind things together. Well, I, you or know, the base or the base in the final chorus, which got honestly kind of funky, and I I enjoyed it, but that was really like overshadowed by everything else that was just thrown on top of it, like the clapping again, except this time it's not choir clapping, now it's indie rock clapping,
2: even though it's the same
1: meter clapping. Yeah, well, I'm
2: definitely tired of the clapping, I'll give you that, but I think that instrumentally this all had a little bit more of a step to it. The final jam, like you said, at the the tail end when it was starting to sound kind of funky, even his vocals were were pretty funky. A little struttier. Yeah. Yeah. I what? guess at this point you've probably have just come to assume that when I say funk, it means good, but well, I think... that's what the album needs. At least if it's a, it's a club track, then you got to at least have that. Well, I think also that...
0: Tail end is meant to lead us into "Come Home Tonight" track eleven because from the moment that song starts, we get this kind of marching beat. Almost, it's we're back to this kind of rock feel, but it feels more along the lines of like your Maroon Fives and your Matchbox Twenty, kind of like a rock pop kind of sound. But the guitars are prevalent here, pretty much from the beginning.
1: You know, it, it moves quicker than the last two tracks had. But the. Piano that's being used here is not accenting his vocals. It's more just hammering home beats measure by measure. Or the fact that the rhythm section, the drum work is all kick. Even if there's other things being hit, it's all kick. That's all I can really focus on right here. Clapping. Oh my god. Another thing with Capping, touches of synth in the chorus work. Like, these are the problems I've had earlier, and he's
2: just now seems like he's doing all of them at once. All right. It's nice to see you on the contrarian side. <laughs> I, I mean, kind of took this track and just, and tried to enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think that
0: uh, track 11, it had the rock feel that I like that he's been dabbling with, but also it had builds that kind of looped on themselves, that while... I didn't mind the instrumentation and the collective sound of those builds. They did become predictable, too. I mean, think about every indie rock track or pop rock track where they kind of build that dramatic build up, and then they come back down, and then they do it again, and it just kept happening. But that said, I'm kind of in the same boat as Steve. I liked it for what it was. You know, I didn't really think much past that.
1: No, I, I just can't discredit some of the problems I'm, uh, or some of the gripes I'm having with this I'm track. not discrediting them. I'm blatantly ignoring them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, something like the bridge. Mm-hmm. It was a string bridge. It was the prettiest part of the whole track, but it felt like it was an obvious choice. You've already used strings on the album here and there and other flourishes parts, but... Let's do something that's nice and expansive because the track itself. It's all about a traveling song It's all about getting back to your roots with the chorus being I'm coming home tonight waited all my life I'm coming home tonight. I need to feel alive. He, he's he got a destination This is a destination track to the T especially with the final pre-chorus and chorus, Where the pre-chorus, they get rid of the kick, but they have the clap be the focal point once again. So while the kick drum isn't that deep thump, the clap is doing the same exact job. And the chorus it steps back into is the exact same chorus. There's no fluctuation. There's no... There's nothing more than traveling in place with this track, and that's what's really getting to
2: me. Well, there's inevitability here, and the Saints came marching in, and the Saints came marching in. We all know that song. And I was free again, I was free again, I'm coming home tonight, waited all my life, I'm coming home tonight. I needed to feel alive. So... I guess it's just—I mean—that's the only thing I can relate back to why this track is probably the simplest of them all in terms of rhythm. It's just uh, beat, 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 beat. There's inevitability, and he's—he's he's happy to be back. It really does bring to light the earlier thing you said, John. You know, the—the the happier tracks just don't have as much. They don't hold as much interest. They don't have the stories, the interesting stories that you will always find in the sadder tracks.
0: We can finish the album strong, though. We go to track 12, Let It Be Tonight, and thank God it's not just a piano in an auditorium. So what we get here is actually a true, honest-to-God piano ballad, which we haven't seen a ton of, and I'm really excited to have it here because from the get-go, the basic accompaniment and even the strings that come a little bit later keep it from
1: being kind of plain. I was going to groan. Like, within the first five seconds of this track. Because I saw it was the last one. I saw we started with the piano. But to be honest, the piano's got a lot more movement to it than we have really had anywhere else on the album.
2: Actually, I it's- would put it right in the same exact league as track four, This Old House.
1: Which was, I believe... Uh, Probably the best flushed out piano. So f- uh, for me, on I mean, on the flushed
2: album. out is not the case. It really, in that particular, I mean, it was still a riff, and I want, I don't want to like take it away from that. But there is spotlighting is important, you know, in music. It's it's important what you what you focus on, and in that particular case, I just felt it rose above the clutter. And this is kind of what's happening here, too. It's You could just dismiss this track as saying it's sad and stuff, and you'd probably be right, <laughs> but, but when you count the piano with the synth drone, there is a lot of introspection here, going back to the same feel that I had back in this old house. Um, so I really like the piano intro. I think it had much of the same character as that track, but it still has some of the same problems. Like, it does lay back a little bit too much in the verse. It could have always been developed there's always the same problem of potential
0: i've thought though this was not the best execution of lyrics i thought it was tasteful and i mean they did what they could with an i'm sorry or you know can you forgive me kind of song because essentially at the core that's what the lyrics are about the, the, there's you're seeking for forgiveness
1: you want to make up with the person whoever the interest is here I wounded you so deep, but I can fix this. Let me fix this. I wounded you so deep, but I can fix this. So let it be tonight that we make up and we rid ourselves of all this confusion. Let it be tonight that we wake up and we commit to make a resolution. Which I actually like the the word play here. Confusion resolution. It's a little bit meatier as Mm -hmm. far as lyrics go. He's not really doing too much with it, but certain elements like... uh, the bass that's that's showing up here and there do more than just flourish on top of what the piano's doing because it's not an ever-present bass. It's just there for more impactful words in the verses and the pre-choruses. Or the bridge, which was that first part I read, I Wounded You So Deep. The slight harmonies that step in to really work off of fix this or so deep, the way he ends his phrases, it's... A lot. I mean, it's not as great as some of the stuff I loved earlier. It's not as great as the bulk of the first five tracks on this album for me. I, I, I'm,
2: a, I'm an apologist for this song. I, I defend it. Basically, of course, yes, more potential, more potential. But there is a couple of things here, the things you pointed out, including in the chorus. The way it ended the chorus, I think that was another moment that brought back, brought out the empathy in me. Um, let it be tonight that we make ourselves rid ourselves of this confusion, All like you said, then to just love. And he holds that out. And he just, it, it's almost eerie how long he holds that single note. Mm-hmm. I, right. I, I start to feel uncomfortable, almost as if there's a little bit of a, like, it, it's all hope for naught. It made yeah. me feel a little bit like that.
0: Forlorn, almost,
2: or like yeah. uh, an impossible quest. Yeah. Even it was, it was, the, it was one of the first times in the album that there was musical subtext. And yeah. that's rare. And
0: also, I think for me here, like as far as instrumentation goes, I mentioned earlier that there are strings, and we've talked about it a little bit. I think when the strings swell right before the chorus, and then they kind of exist through the chorus, adds weight to that. That course, even though the lyrics can feel a little simple at times, I think there's definitely weight in the instrumentation
1: too. It's a nice marriage of both. It's it's sort of like, if I were going to compare it to anything in the earlier part of the album, it would be pieces for me as far as the lyrics and the vocals go. Because while the vocals feel so similar, the fact that the lyrics feel so... Matter of fact and so earnest. Mm-hmm. I love using that term for this album. It's it's kind of what I visualize as like the crux of this album, as its best descriptor. It's so earnest. Oh. But pieces we was, hate that phrase. <laughs> but while pieces had a nice turn of phrase and had like double entendre meanings throughout it without even realizing it, this one was just so hard on the sleeve kind of a feel. I would actually put them together. I, I would say that they are almost equal to one another. I I just am more intrigued by clever wordplay than I am by
2: just such bare honesty as a piece like this. All right, it seems we're going on to our wrap-up now. I I kind of casually enjoyed this album. That's how I'm going to just sum it up naturally i i i always like and i kind of appreciate secretly how we go from doing a kind of really super intense album where you have to probably think more than we think about most other things in our lives <laughs> and then we think about you know last week's uh you know by second relation Prague albums are hard and uh the funny thing is there, we didn't have lyrics. Here we have more lyrics, we have more theme only because we didn't have a transcript last week. So here we can kind of put it together. But in general, even if we didn't have a transcript, you know, it's pretty easy to put it together for most pop tracks in general. I I really don't know what I expected. I guess this is exactly what I expected. I, it's hard for me to imagine someone is sitting there and saying, well, it's not like Rick Astley's previous work. I still think his vocals are just as stellar. And in the end, what more do you need? What more do you want from Rick Astley? Uh, but then when I think of some of the hits, some of the hits that he had, maybe there was a little bit of that 80s touch, a little bit of that beatbox in the background, a little bit of those drum rhythms, things that people don't even really think of anymore that uh, this album really could have used. I think it needed that pep in it because his vocals clearly have pep. A lot of times it feels like his vocals are just kind of soaring above all of this. And even when he has a theme that sort of starts to get sad, and talk about things in his life that are not perfect, or not just, you know, simple themes, things that are a little bit more complex, when he his vocals go there, they at least show more dynamics than most of the other instrumentation. I think that's usually the problem here. I think the producers just kind of... Eh, they were a little bit lazy in this production. Not in all times. In many moments, you know, they, they have good initial ideas. But I don't think they were thinking about the progression of the whole entire song. I think this was a chance for us to have Rick Astley on less of just a harmless pop album. I think it should have been more like an album album, you know? I don't know what that means for you. Pop albums, what they have going for them is comfortability uh like a blanket that has been worn in you just know everything about it and and that's actually that's why we 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 connect with pop that's why we we go back to it and back to it because it just it's it's like an umbrella over the whole entire planet <laughs> this is kind of how they snag us in the end and i'm not saying that's entirely negative but i know that there's more out there i know that there is something that should be a little bit more personal and every single time it starts to get personal it's usually in the way he says something. It's not usually in the instrumentation in the background. It's all just basic ideas. It's all just basic, you know, a eh, little riff here, a little riff there. Even the moments that I like, they're just, they're not they are not pushing it far enough. So although my preface was that, you know, I enjoy the fact that we sort of go toward these these uh, depths of complexity and then sort of rise up to a little bit of a more lighthearted album, it is a little bit of a shame in the end because then I also know I, ha- like I have potential on the brain right now. And that's a little bit of a flaw because had I not heard that, maybe I'd be able to sort of ease my way up to this. Maybe we should always do these kind of albums right before we do something really complex and really not right after, because then they get a bad rap in our view. It's all perception in the end, and I feel that this is—that there's actually more room for debate within pop albums than there are within, you know, prog monstrosities or classical pieces, because at least then you could pull back to say they're doing something things that are new, they're doing things that are unique, and they are actually changing, they're creating a song that is a style of its own, that has a format of its own. But this, it's all fitting the format, and all I can really go back to in the end is say, I love his vocals, and even the melodies, I like the most of the time, but I think they're conforming back to the production value. Like, I wish they would soar above, so I, I'm all over the place with this. I think this is a pretty good view into life for Rick Astley at 50 years old, and he's got a lot of nice morals here, but the empathy that, whether you want to see in your pop music or don't want to see in your pop music, it's going to be down to a case-by-case basis. That goes for all listeners out there. For me, I had them in very, very isolated moments, and they just offered me something, all right? They gave—they gave, they showed me a glimpse of what this album could have been. And I don't think it's Rick Astley's fault. I think it's, it's mostly the producers. So I'm going to throw this at a 3.25. We already talked about how jaded I am, but let me go into it a little bit further
1: because um, I like to bring this up whenever I see something either conforming or going against that. I love tragedies. Hamlet is my favorite of the Shakespearean stories because I love it when the good guy loses or when the bad guy wins. Because those sort of stories are the ones that are not told so often. They're the stories that mostly conform to real life. This is... Dramatically opposed to that kind of idea It's it's about being happy And it's about being hopeful And bright-eyed and bushy-tailed And being Naive is the wrong word Childish is the wrong word But it feels like those are Some of the areas he's drawing from And for that It actually works to the benefit Of this album Because I don't hear Pieces done that are So Positive without it inevitably relating back to uh, a, a, a partner or to something that happened that was great in their life or something like that, this is just undiluted positivity at the end of the day i i can 't fault it for being that that good that happy that that hopeful that understanding and, and in a lot of ways very gentle about it as well. So for for me, for all the complaints I really had on this album of beats not really being expansive or ideas showing up one too many times or... I didn't talk about it, but yeah, it goes through a verse-chorus, verse-chorus, bridge-chorus, outro, pretty, pretty much every single track. But that actually wasn't a, a negative. Like, a lot of these things are only negatives if you look at it from the distilled musical point of view which is something i try to do i think we all try to do here but as much as i want to say oh this is just this is just pop by form it's not he draws upon uh, a variety of different pop ideas they're still distinctly pop but he does change up at least the 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 decade he's working in from time to time he 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 goes to rock he goes to classic he goes to indie he touches upon a lot of different areas so it's got that going for it and the general positivity surrounding it is hard to it's hard to really suppress so for as basic i feel like some of this is as Safe as some as this is, the fact that it's it really is offset by just how uplifting he tries to be. So for that, I'm going to be a little bit higher than Steve at a 3.5. Um, I'm going to talk about something that both of you guys, I don't know if you ignored necessarily, but you
0: didn't really talk about in your wrap-up at least, and that's the theme of the record. It yeah. has a really strong theme. The album's called 50. He took a 15-year hiatus, and at 50 years old, With his child grown up enough that he feels like he can go back on tour and he can go back to uh, doing music. Um, I believe his uh, wife is his manager so he can travel again. This album is that. This album is I'm Rick Astley and here are the things that I've felt as I've gotten older and as I've gone through life. Um, Some a little more abstract than others but for the most part it's from his heart and from his mind. And... There is no argument about it. It just is. You can't say that the theme was good or bad. It just is. Um, Musically, the arc, I feel like, more or less, is pretty strong as well. You know, there are some things that kind of seem out of left field on a very moment-to-moment basis, but even those are fairly integrated well. I never, at any point in this album... Heard something and went, whoa, why is this here? That doesn't make any sense. Like, I mean, he's a guy who grew up, he gained his early popularity in the 80s when he was a kid, pretty much. And he has continued to make music and evolve and then took a 15-year hiatus from music to raise a family. So when he comes back, of course, he's going to dive into what he's been listening to, dive into what's current, and pull it all together. And he's got a lot of influences just based on how he sings and where he's pulling his art from. So that, I feel, is pretty strong, too. Um, instrumental complexity, I, I tend to agree a bit. You know, he, what he's doing, he does well enough. Vocals, of course, are out of this world. I think I like his sound better now than when he was younger. I think that there's a maturity to his voice that I really dig and I connect with. Um, to uh, jump on what John was saying about an overwhelmingly positive album, as in positivity, I'm on board for that. Uh, I'd get big points for that because, well, I know we say that uh, negativity writes better stories sometimes. I Yeah. I've got enough of that in my life right now. And a lot of emo or depressing or even aggressive albums can be a dime a dozen. Um, whereas this is just blatantly, my life is pretty great and here's why. There's no, there's, it's not that there's no struggle, but it's... Spinning the struggle in a positive light, which is what I try to do all the time, and isn't always easy. Um, you know, I've mentioned Sky Blue on the podcast before, who's a rapper who I got to interview for autographs way back when, who does rap, but all of his songs are positive or have a positive spin, which is rare for rap. Rap tends to go to some pl- pretty dark places pretty frequently, um, and so I think here too, taking a pop album's not about breakups, that's not about heartbreak, that's not about partying that doesn't feel overwhelmingly superficial, I think as far as pop records go, is pretty strong. It's not perfect. It's not uh, chicoria, You know, we're not getting something virtuosic as far as instrumentation and, and song building goes, but I'd say vocally he's pretty close to a virtuoso as far as what he can do, especially at this stage of his life. So I'm higher than you guys, I think mostly because again and Steve pointed this out it's a case by case of what you get out of it and i as a for the most part a positive person who also likes finding inspiring positive music i enjoy that someone in his 50s put together music to reflect how he feels at this point in his life and it kind of gives me hope for when i'll be 50 as someone who makes art and likes art and so i think for there for that alone i put it a solid 4 I think that the whole thing together puts it there. You know, it's not a mind-blowing phenomenon, but it's f***ing Rick Astley. Like, come on. The guy's been around forever, and he still hits me in the same place that Never Gonna Give You Up is. Because Never Gonna Give You Up is an absolutely shamelessly positive track. It's all about how he's never gonna give you up. No matter what you do, no matter what happens, he's gonna be there for you. And that's all he's doing here still. And I think that's great that he still has this attitude at that point. It doesn't negate how you guys felt. I think I just got more out of
2: it because of how he's always made me feel to a point. I, I'm not immune to those feelings. You I know. F- Like, I feel all of that. But I feel more just from the fact that you told me <laughs> that that's how he feels based on watching an interview of him at 50. Yeah. I feel that because of the circumstances. I don't feel that because of the work. Then that's, I mean, that's completely fair. I think I'm, I think. And also, I'll, when I'm negative, I want to go exuberant. Right. Like, it's not a matter of, you know. Sad Steve likes sad songs. <laughs> it really is not a matter of that. Like, this is one of the reason why I, I have a confession to make. I, I made some little post-correction edits to uh, e- Eno by uh, Second Relation last week because of the fact that that album really did cheer me up from kind of a negative week. Right. You know? And more than I initially gave it credit for. Now, who knows? Maybe the same could factor into this. I don't anticipate it, fa- anticipate it factoring in terribly soon, or at least maybe not before the year in review. But... I think this, for me, this album should have gone in either two ways. Either it should have been a a, a more serious album about the kinds of things that he has overcome and why. Like, the, more seriousness than simply the veneer of kind of pop, like, I'm okay. That's mm. what I feel in this. I feel like he's okay. And, and that's disregarding the lyrics. Like, I really am honing in on the music pretty mm-hmm. pretty strongly. And, and I guess uh, his, his vocals... They just feel like Rick Astley to me, right. you know, in most instances. But the other way he could have gone is making this kind of more of a club track. You know, yeah. I feel the club, the exuberance of Never Gonna Give You Up. And that's there in everything. It's there in the music, it's yeah. there in the. So I, while I'm not gonna sit here and compare this to the very few Rick Astley hits that I'm aware <laughs> of, I do think he, it, this is one instance where it, we could have used some borrowing from the past or at least a a better version of today's club music, because I know it's out there, and I know we reviewed it, which is why I made the Pharrell Williams comparison, because by all rights, Girl by Pharrell Williams, episode 89, that was a pretty shallow album, but it was really enjoyable, and that succeeded in lifting me up. Well, I guess then for me, I just maybe enjoyed this more
0: than you did. I mean, it may (coughs) just come down to that, that I took stuff out of it, not necessarily because the quality was better or i think it's better but that i just i was able to extrapolate things that you couldn't really find <laughs> i in the just record. wish i
1: could take his vocal track and put it over different music that's about it <laughs> actually one of my f- my favorite pieces of music which is exactly it is when uh two people a few people took a um, took rick roland took the never gonna give you up and put it over Smells Like Teen Spirit. <laughs> and it matched perfectly. It was so good. And that actually brings us to today's discussion, which is sort of the memification of a lot of music and how it affects the music itself, whether it's song by song, track by track, or albums and things like that. And most famously was Rickrolling, yeah. where Never Gonna Give You Up back in, like, 06, 07. It started on 4chan. Yeah. Where, like everything does, I think it was 07, where GTA four was going to be coming out, and that's a huge oh, game that's in the community. Right. Yeah, and it was the first time anybody got rickrolled. because they post this link: "Hey,
0: check out this preview for Grand Theft the Auto four
1: trailer to Never Gonna Give You Up." Yeah, and, and it would take you to YouTube, and it would be that song. So this is like a decade old kind of a thing of mm-hmm. a song that's even older than that. But other other bits of music pop up like that from time to time because back in like 2010 the trollala song became the trolling song after
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: which is done by Edward Kill that kind of took over for rick rolling for a time though i still get rick rolled every once in a while cuz i spend too much time on reddit um but other other pieces of music kind of get like resurgences after a while like uh the prisoners who did um thriller right yeah the
0: viral video was, of the prisoners reenacting the
1: thriller music video which is the better part of 10 years ago now anyway yeah. but thrillers from much further back than that and it was one of those things that's kind of like hit YouTube, hit social medias, and all of a sudden everyone's like, oh yeah, no, Michael Jackson is still pretty awesome. And when this happens, you can't really predict it because someone just has to come up with a really good idea that gets one or two people to laugh and they share it with their friends and then a couple more people laugh and they share it with their friends. Or it's just something that kind of like is is a legitimately new thing, like the Filipino Prisoner Thriller, or like OK Go, and how they actually achieved They made a startup. career based on viral videos. The like, treadmill. Yeah. The treadmills was the beginning of it for them. But that, that, with OK
0: Go, it's less memification and more just going viral, which aren't necessarily the same thing. But going back to Rickrolling, I think what's interesting about that is... I think it's the way that that song starts that lent itself to being used for rickrolling very well. The idea that you're clicking on this link, expecting a trailer video, and then you get this heavy drum and synth, and then he starts singing right away. Like, it's just, it's it's such an upbeat and kind of loud song
2: that it added to the gag of it. I think it has done some good, and uh, not just specifically the Rickrolling case, but the right. idea of memification. I think it has done some good for artists, good artists who might not have gotten the same visibility, or artists who n- needed and well a well deserved resurgence of visibility in their career, like Rick Astley. Uh, but I think I I may reject this one on principle, just on the principle that there is something inherently right. About something that gets shared, not necessarily because everyone just kind of agreed that it was hilarious, but more just because of wanting to get in on the joke. Like, I think it's more that than the actual uproarious laughter that I doubt many people were experiencing in the course of of rickrolling or in the course of many of these homages. I think it has more to do with
0: absurdity than hilarity. I think the fact that the Troll the Law song did so well was because that song is absurd. It it just is. I'll leave room for absurdity, that's a good point. And so I think that's why it took off. I mean, you think about trolls in general on the internet, and like the troll face that's super ubiquitous now on the internet, you know you mad bro uh, it, it, it 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 the troll song just kind of reflects that absurdity and and i think that's where part of it
1: comes from is people are just overwhelmed by how ridiculous some of this stuff is and then there's people that actually takes that absurd idea and really goes like whole hog with it like um, commander chris hadfield who did a a, a music video for space oddity in, in space, space. Oh, in I, I, outer I, I space, that. which was okay. It's Space Oddity, and yes, it would be fitting for a music video to be there. But this is a guy who was had the unique opportunity to create, in some ways, just an homage, but in another way, kind of like a piece of art
2: to actually take Space Oddity and throw it into interstellar. And area. that's a case where it's clearly done some good because if that's what it takes for people to like get interested in space, I mean, I, I, I actually. I'm not sure I 100% remember that exact video, but I remember all of the videos that Chris Hadfield has done online because he posted a whole bunch of them. I mean, this is yeah. when the International Space Station really started to get a lot of, you know, uh, YouTube visibility. I mean, anyone who's interested in space has probably been following, you know, progression of the building of the International Space Station and all of its different components. I could probably go through the International Space Station blindfolded right now. If I could float from end to end and I would know exactly which which module I was in. That's just because I'm already really, really into space. But if something like that is what gets people into watching those other videos and really acknowledging how incredible the actual construction progress was and all of the different experiments that exist all over the station and that inspires them to get into science and the like and thing to thing to thing, then great. That, I guess... Then I have nothing to say, because that's probably the greatest thing that could possibly come of it. Well, then I'll take I just this don't om- know if it happens that much. I'll
0: take this opportunity then to bring us back to memes, which is where this conversation started, and to not pass up an opportunity to bring up your friend and mine, uh, Mr. Mike Ragnetta, and the Idea Channel. Because he actually did a video on our lolcats and internet memes art. And, you know, I think it's an important question to ask, because, I mean, memes are expression, are they not? There are way people express themselves yes. through a visual
2: medium. Well, and so, curses are also how people express themselves. Well, See,
0: but I'm not done yet. So I think that the idea that someone used Rick Astley for Rick Rolling, which ideally you would need a Rick for that, is that art? I don't know. However, I feel like that can inspire artistic thinking. The idea of one upping people on a Rick Roll or finding interesting ways to do or use certain memes or things like think about the reaction gif now the fact that so many people use them that there's a keyboard for it in your phone now i think there can be kind of an artistic mentality to how you utilize these
2: things that the well, internet because provide what, what it is is it's, it's us, us, us utilizing our environment yeah our environment is obviously laden with uh media references some of which affected us more than others and More than likely, in today's culture, you're probably going to find other people who've seen the same things, heard the same things as you. In fact, it's become almost so ubiquitous that we're actually appalled when someone hasn't heard something that you've heard of. Which is an absurd—that really is an absurd notion uh, to any uh, previous—like a pre-media generation, like pre-radio.
1: Well, that's the whole thing. Memes are not just artistic expression or anything like that. They are also supposed to represent— Uh, Sort of society's group thought Sort of like the undercurrent Of a group in society Whether it's Americans Or teenagers Or adults over the age of 45 uh, In Eastern Europe Or something like that Like It's supposed to represent At least originally uh, Sort of like what everybody Would regard as a thing Like everybody would regard This image as angry Or everybody would regard This situation as hysterical And some things, like even in music, especially in music for some parts, like I would challenge you to not find a a little bit of comedy in sort of like. I guess I You could just call it the Hulk sad walk away music. I was just gonna bring that up. Like you can't even find that as sad music nowadays because our generation kind of regards it as the tropey, obviously funny but sad walk away music. Yeah. In fact, I have it on a soundboard so that when I'm talking to other people playing video games and he, someone's complaining about something, I bring it up to the mic and I play
2: that for five, ten seconds. Yeah, and very often just to it, piss
1: him off. There's a fine line. The
2: there's a fine line between whether it's homage or whether people are actually making fun. Like it is is you know to their eyes or to their ears just kind of generically sad without any of the uh, any of the intrigue. Yeah. It's, um, it's... And I I I you know I heard it. I was never a big Hulk fan. I think I heard it uh, actually over the course of the series when I employed it. I think back in episode one ninety two at your request. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes.
1: Because that is sort of a generic sad music, I, I... but
2: it's so generic and so. But no, when I heard it for the it's... first when I heard it then and, and yes, I'm admitting I heard it for the first time at the time and I was like that's kind of sweet that is a very sweet piano line right but everyone else has already come to the point of uh of exhaustion with it so or as using it to troll yeah or to be uh,
1: like increasingly rude another one you use the quote-unquote illuminati
2: x-files music but that's another thing that's why I, i haven't effectively conveyed i guess my my issue with all of this yes i i know it can it can inspire uh artistic pursuits, it can inspire us to look into things and make connections and just sort of just build our neural pathways. But it's also a form of conditioning. And I think conditioning can be harmful. Yes. And I will definitely agree with that. But like a
1: smiley face or a frowny face or a poop emoji or anything like that, it's uh, these pieces have almost become universal, like emotes, musical emote for people to automatically understand
2: something but doesn't it take individuality away in some sense yeah yes at the same time yeah. though yeah. It, yeah. at the same time it facilitates <laughs> and communication and what does that mean for you no no no
1: it facilitates communication at the same time just like the idea of rickrolling someone is to be cheeky and rude, but still comedic at the same time. You don't really mean to be mean, but you're being kind of funny
2: about it. You're – it's all in good jest. That's what a rickroll is. I mean, I'll admit openly that, you know, certain things like Simpsons references probably governed the friends, the lifelong friends that I made, you know, Just early on in, 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 in grade school. Because though that's when you start. You know, conditioning is kind of new at that point because you're – we all start out technically as blank slates and, yeah. and as these individual pieces of who knows what you're going to turn into, and then you start making connections, like, you like that too? Holy crap! It's just it does get a little bit older, I guess, as, as time goes on, because then maybe as we mature, I I would want to think that we'd be more interested actually in seeking out new things than simply seeking out the obvious, you know, that someone across the country has also watched The Simpsons. I mean, sure. But I, honestly, like, me and Matt have our own
1: little shtick where Matt starts bothering me and quoting from the Mark, Tom, and Travis show, and it's almost comedic how cheeky it is. I mean, it's something I have to quote back to him, even though he's being annoying. I know he's not being annoying to be mean. I know he's being annoying to try to get uh, a laughter out of me, out of get, to get a, a funny rise out of me. So I quote it back to him. I finish the sentence and everything like that.
2: Like, These things, yes, and I'm constantly doing that with you know my friend James on December's quotes Colin Malloy's little uh, quirks, and yes, even after probably a decade plus, still Simpsons references.
1: Here's what's what's great about them. Why it's so good is because. We can summarize a conversation in a couple of lines. And because we're such close friends with this line, like, it's it's a joke that we don't even have, laugh at anymore. It's just, all right, we had that conversation yeah. in, in two sentences that was just, all right, we can move on. And that information was shared. And I can explain it in a way that Steve will
0: understand by saying the similar thing happens with The Simpsons. When you quote them, like, I could quote them at you right now. We're not going to laugh. Like, if I say me fail English, you would say, That's impossible. And you smile, and I yes. smile, but we're not uproarious well, with It laughter. has
2: been done, right. right. But there are occasions, actually. I mean, I go through waves, you know, with The Sims, where I would sure. watch, you know, a series of episodes. Then I don't have to watch it for years and years, because really, they're, they're pretty much scripted in my head at that point. Right. But then, sometimes things do really prove to have staying power, where I watch something at a different age, and I rewatch it in a certain way, and I'm like, wow, that line is way funnier now, or miraculously just as funny as it was 20 years ago. That's pretty phenomenal. So, but but here's the crux of it: you quote that line when you when you make a flub, and
1: you, instead of being embarrassed, you laugh it off as a joke, and it's used as sort of like a diffusing. I fail at English. My words are coming out faster than my lips, and can pronounce that. Yeah. My mains up. It says all of this. It's all of this in one little quick line. And music does that as well, the, which is why Sad Hulk is such
2: a a trolly but sad piece of music. Well, I'm not discounting the comfort mechanism. I think that's what it is. But it's I'm just saying that is both a blessing and a curse. Yes. I think. Oh, I'm not going to dispute that. But it's I feel like it's as much, if not more so, a blessing it just that we have it, it's a blessing for the sake of us being able to go about our lives and hold conversations with people we like who hold the same interests as us and no. so that way we can laugh together or even if it's all been said just smile together it's 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 further than that. It's a shorthand conversation. It is, it's
1: a connection between people because if you understand the meme and somebody on the opposite side of the world understands the meme and you start the joke and they finish it automatically, connection you have, has it's been a made connection and right that there.
2: Birth something else potentially, Yeah. which
1: is what a meme is. It's group thought. It's social connection between people who all are thinking a specific way. The way may not be good. That's the problem that we're dealing with here with memes, and that's the problem when you take a piece. Like it's just that said, it can, it, I guess it's first,
2: because I've also seen it go the other way, where people start going into this, you know, down this circle of things that probably are not terribly beneficial. You know, I've, I've seen like it you, concerning, like, you know, opinions, ideas that are a little dangerous at times. And then, but, but, then we go into weird territory. Like you said, the Hulk music that you heard the first time was like, oh, that's sweet. Yeah, yeah
1: I'm jaded towards it yeah, now. You know? I, I regard it as being a cheeky little bastard. And just making light of something else that honestly doesn't matter, but it's sad. Right. So, yes, you get it for fresh ears and you get to experience it as something a lot more beautiful than I kind of view it nowadays.
2: But at the same time, it's it's still shorthand communication for me. All right. All right. I, I, I admit. I admit. And I guess in the end, who's going to really avoid that comfort mechanism? Sure. I um, mean, who would not want a little bit of that in their life? Otherwise... They basically have, have become self-proclaimed outcasts, which doesn't make much sense. No. I mean, I, you can maintain your individuality, I suppose, in many other ways. I, I guess I've just become a little jaded to the groupthink, if that makes any sense. Like, jaded to the whole concept of it, that the internet, you know, perpetuates in droves and in generations I mean, that's
0: not uh, unheard of, and I feel like that's a fair assessment. I think that it really depends
2: on the thought and the group and the moment, really. Yeah, and obviously it doesn't make sense really much to to rant, rant and rage about things that aren't really all that consequential, if it's just people enjoying a laugh that exactly. makes no sense to, you know, being like, you guys are all stupid right. for enjoying that really harmless thing. It's just occasionally it seems more harmful than others you know, and I, and sometimes we can become, we can assume that it's all harmless because it's on the internet. Right, and well, we know the internet is not harmless. Yeah. For sure. Yeah.
0: All right, well, let's, uh, before we get into what we're doing next week, I believe, Steve, you have uh, what we officially call a
2: spam email (laughs) what we in this 21st century refer to as a spam i want spam hate mail i'm really desiring that i want to see how spam yeah that's it is very rare that they just you know just rail on us but this one has to say wow power leveling together with excellent support wow power leveling by wow power leveling okay you guys
1: know the reddit outside like i've been trying to power level on that reddit for I don't know how
2: long and it's just impossible. You can only level up once a year. Yeah, that's how out of touch I am. That's right. I didn't, when I read this the first time, I didn't even see the World of Warcraft reference. I just saw wow. No there's no there's no dots. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, fair, but also doesn't it have an acronym. He right. just said, "Wow!" This it's a stupid bot. <laughs> well, stupid yeah. bot say is, stupid is, things. Is, is yeah, zero, but who's the real stupid is, bot? Is, is it a, yeah, the bot yeah, or you? Yeah, yeah. Is it a
1: zero or an O? And is the O lowercase? Well, both W upper. All
2: lowercase. All
1: spelled like the word in the English language. Wow. I don't think it's World of Warcraft. I think it's Wow. I think Wow outside, power leveling. He's he's amazed. Listeners, if you haven't been there, go to the outside subreddit. It is hysterical, and you'll find it to be a a, a grand time. Wow. Uh, all right, just to change the subject so
0: we can move on.
2: And sorry for the harsh edit, folks, but Matt ran off to Arizona, so that leaves me and John to announce our album for next week. What do we have, John? Well,
1: next week I've decided to bring on something odd yet again because, well, I like doing that. We're going to be listening to an album called Monument Builders by Sill. Low Sil is the musical project of Scott Morgan, an experimental ambient electronica artist. Actually, he takes his name from Looping Oscillator, which I find to be a very. Esoteric? Or at least a very big indicator for the type of music yeah, you should okay. be getting. gotcha. And it's actually inspired by score from the 1982 experimental film Koyaninskaski, which.
2: I have no idea if I actually pronounced that correct or not. No pressure, folks. You don't have to watch the movie. If you want to... Go ahead though. Go ahead. But specifically it's a score that Philip
1: Glass did for that movie. Ah. The Philip Glass? Yes. The
2: experimental score producer yeah, for contemporary Quite some, He's done a lot of work. Contemporary weird stuff. guy, yeah. Yeah. And uh his this guy's work is based off of that. Yeah. Based off of a score that Philip Glass wrote. Not necessarily based, but at least inspired. At least inspired. that's what I'm being okay. fed. Gotcha. Yeah well you have that to look forward to next week and we look forward to seeing you next week and since matt's not here to do our usual sign off i'll just say it music is life and life is good